welcome to the Access Ninja podcast. We're a bi-weekly show where we talk about accessibility from the lenses of technology, life, and design. I am Rachel Magario, and today I am your solo host. Welcome, everybody. I am so excited to be here. I was gone on the last episode. I had zero voice. So I'm very, very excited to be here and be able to give you one episode. I am totally alone on the studio today. Uh, my co-host Jonathan is out and about on a vacation on the Rocky Mountains. And uh, I'm actually kind of curious to see what kind of uh, stuff he found in his vacation that might have might not have been an accessibility issue. He always comes up with some really cool observations, even though he doesn't need access. Uh, he's very um, conscientious about it. So I th I'm kind of excited about that. And today I will just uh, run with a few news that I have here. And of course, rant and rant about things that I think. So please sit back, relax, and let's do this. All right, let's start with a topic that gets me so pumped up because it has to do with legislation. Of course, the, uh, the topic that pumps me up is clarity of accessibility. I think that we don't have a lot of clarity. This is not a problem that has started now, but it's been around. I've been around the accessibility sort of field for the last 20 years. And, you know, I, I am a, a victim of lack of accessibility. And I'm a big time advocate for good accessibility, for clarity, for guidelines. And I think that in, in all those years, we still haven't been able to really clarify it. I think accessibility is a topic that gets, I mean, it, it's a, not a topic, but it's a definition that gets thrown around, but nobody really knows what that definition is. Uh, so many people think that accessibility, web accessibility in particular, is just being able to read. And as, you know, in the 1990s, sure, most websites were what we call brochure websites. So they were basically a electronic form of a printed information. It was just more, you know, a little nice site that you could just go and look and read. But as time has come around and, you know, Web 2.0 is here and Web 3.0 is coming soon enough, uh, apps have become more the standard. So uh, a web app, right? How many websites you can go to, I don't know, convert union uh, units, right? Or cur currency. You go and you type in you know, the number of dollars and then you ask to show you how much that is in another currency in another country. Well, that's a type of app. It's something that you actually performing a task is not just reading. And I call that performance access. And right now we don't even talk about that. This is something I learned more in design. That's why I, I went to study design was because I wanted to improve accessibility and usability and user experience. So I think that this is the biggest problem right now. We still have this confusion about what is what, and there is no uh, 
very clear guidelines. There is, of course, uh, very clear recommendations from the WC3 World uh, Web Consortium, which is uh, WC3.org, and um, it, it you know it's a, a great information and, and great work that has been done. However, it's all still very cumbersome. There's a many many checklists and there's um, you know pages and pages and pages trying to explain what accessibility is. And I really think it should be something more intuitive. Uh, accessibility should be included in the design from the beginning uh, or from the redesign. And most of the time, as we said here many, many times, accessibility is just an afterthought. And the reason why it's an afterthought is because it's so complicated to even understand what accessibility is, right? As you designing something, and people are trying to figure out accessibility at the same time, it's very taxing because we don't have very clear guidelines. And even though access is um, required by some laws, right? Uh, compliance and in, in, in access and all that, uh, it's still not very clear. And I cannot tell you how many consultants I see around that say different things that kind of contradict each other and that's because we don't have clarity in this bill that I'm going to share with you right now gets me really excited because we might be able to have a little bit more of that clarity in fact accessibility as a word is being thrown even in other uh, industries such as uh, business you know people sometimes talks about accessibility and they are talking about accessibility is not really accessibility, but it's affordability. They're talking about, uh, you know, is this price accessible to your market? And and that is, that's really, you're really talking about if it's affordable. But many people say that word as, you know, oh, is it accessible? And then you go look at accessible and it has nothing to do with, right, uh, physical access, information access, or performance access. So... I really think that we really need to pin down uh, very clear definitions. In mid-May, uh, the committee, the, the House Committee uh, Appropriation Committee, passed the bill called the Commerce Justice Science, which is the CJS Appropriation Bill. And what's really exciting about this bill is that if passed in the House, which is still pending, uh, it would be able to sort of force the hand of the Department of Justice, the DOJ, to kind of clarify what web accessibility is and what are the guidelines. So Obama passed um, sort of, you know, well, it started this process for a better definition of accessibility back in 2010 and it sort of got taken away from the table of the DOJ to really make this a working definition with very clear guidelines. So if the bill goes through then what's exciting about it is that we would be able to see that back in the table so it'll become a, a work a working progress again and maybe by 2020, 
21, we might be able to see, uh, you know, this, this definition, right? This clarity to come through in legislation and then uh, organizations that have to comply with accessibility and, you know, um, 508 compliance uh, will have a much better guideline and recommendation. And I think that this also might even help with some of these, um, you know, lawsuits because there's all this uh, lawsuits right now and some win and some don't because it's kind of contradictory and in, in it, it creates these different ideas of what's right and what's not. So I think it, it could help everybody around, both the organizations and the people that need the accessibility and but hopefully it'll be look at it from a standpoint of experience and I and I really think that hopefully the guidelines will just not be you know this this checklist of readability but it will be actually looked from a more uh, design process and and be able to clarify from the standpoint of of not just reading but actually performance on the website and you know because when you're on Facebook you're actually posting and you're entering you're not just reading and I would say that more than 50% of the websites today are not just about reading it's about you know performing in the site participating interacting right I mean unless if you're reading uh, Wikipedia you go there just to read but most of the other pages you're there to create something or to uh, get the information or to be able to participate right so i mean web conferences for example how many of them the web chats right doesn't work or it's not accessible so i think this would be very exciting if it actually gets back to the table and it gets discussed in a higher level of understanding and also thinking about the future too because i think the as as technology evolves i think we will see more and more of this performance based web than just reading so hopefully this will get through i'm very very um hopeful that this happens just this week, uh, I was trying to use one of my banking apps and, you know, I can read everything in it and I was trying to pay a bill and it said, enter amount. So, you know, there's this little field for you to go and enter actually the amount and I would click on it and I'll click on it. Nothing would happen and it wouldn't even let me like enter any information. So I would type the, the amount and it wouldn't it wouldn't go through it you know it would still look like there was nothing in there and it kind of makes you think you're kind of insane you know because i mean what can you do there's nothing you can do there was nothing in the user end uh fortunately you know a few days later it got fixed uh, we had an update and now i'm able to pay my bill again but that creates uh, a huge problem because you know again i can read but it's lack of performance it's like if somebody's dangling like a candy like 
really close to your mouth, but you know, you can't get it. It's, it's just like rude, <laughs> totally rude, but we'll see. Uh, you know, let's sit tight and see what happens, but I would like to see, um, you know, definitions and guidelines to be back in the table. It would help a lot of businesses and organizations. And I think that ultimately it would also help uh, people that need it, like myself, to to be able to know what you can count on and what you cannot count on. So, and that is the appropriation bill. And the more exciting news, uh, the Marrakesh Treaty Act, it's also in Congress to be passed. Uh, this means that um, accessible materials that have been created in any of the countries that are part of the treaty will be able to exchange. I mean, this may be not so beneficial to the U.S. from the standpoint that the U.S. already have the ADA and uh, 508 and Section 504, right, which uh, requires the, um, especially educational institutions, to provide uh, people with print disability alternative accessible materials. And that's super exciting. I mean, that's the reason why I came to study in the U.S. in the first place. But um, unfortunately, the, the sad part is that in many instances, even in the U.S., like if you're talking about I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, many universities would create their own uh, materials. So, for example, if a student in the University of Kentucky needed a textbook on statistics, for example, right, and then that same textbook was used in the University of Boston, right, each university would create their own accessible material and, um, you know, and then the student will have it. Some of them used to not even save the material for later on. I mean, back in the 90s, a lot of the accessible alternative materials were audio, like audio tapes. People actually read uh, for you on a tape. And, you know, as the 2000s rolled around, we had more and more ebooks and, you know, ePubs, and there was different versions and then uh, there was organizations that were able to not just save but then they created exchanges right like um, repository exchanges so the universities were able to uh, put all the books all the textbooks that they created in the same place and then universities instead of recreating uh, you know reinventing the will they could actually go and check it out if some other university had already created that same textbook, saving a lot of time, uh, being able to get the books in a timely fashion to the students that need it. And that was, you know, how it kind of evolved. And today we have a bookshare.org, which is a, a place that, you know, if you have a print disability, you are able to go and type in and search for a book. And if it's there, you're able to to download it in different formats, including uh, Braille electronic format. Uh, also, you know, you have uh, RFBND, which now it's uh, Learning Ally, 
actually. And so Learning Ally is, is similar. They have audio and they have electronic versions. So that there has been a lot of those organizations for, for many, many years in the U.S., which is great. However, this is not true from other countries. And uh, developing countries, according to the um, Electronic Frontier Foundation, is about accessible materials of all the published, you know, available printed materials in a developing country. It's only 1%. And on first world countries like the U.S., it's 7%. So it's still very little. I mean, imagine just 7% access to all the things that are available. It's kind of sad. And I thought I was like, you know, I was so excited when Kindle and iBooks came to town and I was able to buy some of even my MBA books already, you know, from there. And I didn't have to even ask anybody to scan it. It was great or there was no wait. I mean, still a lot of ebooks are not fully accessible. Some are not screen reader uh, ready and it creates a little bit of a problem for reading it. But, I mean, I read an average of 10 books a month. And I'm so excited to have all that access. But now, with the Marrakesh Treaty, if it passes, this means that the 37 countries that have signed in will be able to exchange, just like I said in the university, they will be able to exchange all that material. And... So if it's, you know, let's say you made a, you read a book called, I don't know, The Man, The Old Man and the Sea. And now in another country, they need The Old Man and the Sea. They will be able to actually go and look it up. And if it already exists, you don't have to redo it. You can just borrow it. And uh, this uh, treaty was created in 2013 by the uh World Intellectual Property World Organization. And that was sort of the first time that, uh, you know, the, the treaties created to actually benefit people that have disadvantage, print disadvantage. Most of the time, uh, the intellectual world, uh, intellectual property world organization creates, um, you know, laws around protection of intellectual property and copyright. But this time is actually something that can really benefit everybody all over the world that have print disability. And and also there was be there would be an advantage. I remember when I was trying to read uh learn Arabic in school, uh there was I couldn't get my hands on any material at all, like not even Braille so I could practice with this coming to pass, I mean, it would be wonderful because you would be able to also access uh, other languages. So it would totally increase and improve the the learning other languages. Uh, I remember when I I tried to get some Japanese books for uh, a little kid that was uh, half Japanese and half American. And there was nothing we could get. It was very complicated to be able to get our hands and and other language materials. So uh, I think this this will be really exciting. I hope it passes, and we will be able to see. I think an increase on 
accessible materials because also, you know, the countries that can and have the resources, instead of having to spend all your resources re reproducing books that all the countries already have, you can actually use that time to create new materials and therefore increasing hopefully that 7% to a much bigger percent. Uh, I would like to see at least 50%. So, so that is the Marrakesh Treaty Act and you can read more about it in the show notes. And last but not least, there is something that blind and visually impaired users that use braille displays have something to celebrate. The USB Implementation Forum just announced that they are creating a new standard for USB, which is a human interaction device, HID, which will be a new standard for the USB connection. Um, the aim of those connections is to make it braille displayers more universally connected across all operating systems and different hardware. Of course, if you're not blind or a braille displayer user, you wouldn't understand why this is so exciting. So I will share with you why. Uh, braille displayers throughout the years, which is, uh, you know, braille displayer is actually a display that will display braille for you once connected to a computer. Um, had a lot of issues like throughout the years uh you have to have a drive so you had to have a, a, a you know a driver that you would install uh in order to make the braille display talk to the computer and it, there was a lot of trouble with that because number one you had to know what the driver was you know the version the version that you had the version that worked with the version of the operating system that you were running, that worked with the version of the screen reader you were using. I mean, it was a complete nightmare. And then, and then there, of course, uh, there was the software inside your board display, which would handshake with your computer. So there were so many moving parts that, believe me, it wasn't about just uh, plugging and play. Like you would plug it in and then nothing would happen and you had to uh, troubleshoot. Of course, Apple have had a kind of, you know, upper hand in this because Apple usually installed uh, drives for most of the, for most of the most popular Braille displayers. So it did become a little bit easier. You could just plug it in and it would sort of recognize which one it was, and they would use the, the correct uh, drive for it. So I think it would be a lot easier. Uh, it would remove the need for these different little softwares and to be able to have to install and, and, and figure out and pair up your software with your uh, computer software, etc., etc. So this sounds a lot exciting. Uh, I don't know when um, the braille displayers factories will actually start implementing this and of course there's going to be a lot of legacy equipment meaning that people that already have those equipment will still have to use the um, older connections uh, braille displayers can cost anywhere from 
a little bit less than two uh two thousand dollars to five thousand dollars so it's not a you know it's not a a product that you go and switch that easy but it's going to be as times goes on i think that we'll be able to see uh all of the new ones using this new connection i don't know how how this yeah new usb will be available you know the cable how it be readily available or not because i do remember that the the thing with some of those connections where that if your cable broke you couldn't really just go and borrow you know that cable from somebody else you had to actually uh order and i remember it took me once uh three weeks before i could get a new one so i couldn't use it uh the braille displayer and today of course i use a, a braille displayer with bluetooth so we'll see how this um gonna turn out but i i can only think that will be a lot easier and something to be very happy about so plug and play it's something that i love with most things i have and all the hardwares that i have today that are not uh, assistive technology they're all plug and play so that was the great news for you on usb standards goodness and that was all that i had for you today it has been a strange episode for me here in the studio all by myself trying to do all the things that jonathan does too so and it's good it's good when um your partner is not around you kind of um realize all the things that they do for you and makes you appreciate life a little bit more i hope you enjoyed the show i hope you had fun i hope it was useful and i'm sorry it was short but we shall be back again with jonathan and studio next time i am signing off here i'm gonna go watch ant-man and wasp you know i love marvels so I'll let you know how the audio description went next week. Thanks for listening to the Axos Ninja podcast. To give us feedback or any requests, please write to us at feedback at axos.ninja. That is, again, feedback at axos.ninja. And as Jonathan says, be nice to each other. Have a great week.